for me personally, had my heart and my attention grabbed by some recent headlines, which is exactly what they're supposed to do, right? But there are two particular headlines in particular that I'm talking about. First one, you know, this is the front page of the Courier Times, and, and uh, that's the New York Times there. And it's the headline about the, the, the grand jury report of the, on the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, that news impacts thousands and thousands of people. And not only people who, um, who um, attend and belong to the Catholic Church, but to people who call themselves Christians. It impacts them. And that report only is on Pennsylvania. You know, there are other similar kind of things elsewhere. And let me just say immediately that my time here today is not going to be about bashing or, or heaping on the scandal that is a problem for the Catholic Church in that regard. Instead, my time here today is to really connect the dots between their scandal and our scandal as Protestants, and even go further than that, and to connect the dot into the chair you're sitting today and how you are a part of the same thing and how Christ has made provision for us. But the, like I said, the scandal was not limited to just Catholics in the past week. On August the 8th, the remaining pastor and elders at Willow Creek Community Church resigned over allegations by multiple women of improprieties by senior pastor Bill Hybels. Willow Creek is the fifth largest church in the United States. 25,000 people, that's 100 times larger than us, you know, attend there. They have multiple locations throughout Chicagoland. Bill has authored or co-authored 50 books. He is also the founder of the Global Leadership Summit that many of us from Crossing have attended over the course of 10 years. And while I have a sadness for our Catholic friends and the burden that they are under to explain the actions of their spiritual shepherds, not only to those outside the faith, but to themselves, as would be the case. In one article I read, the author, uh, the author said she was, she was, they were on vacation, and they said that they, they prayed that their friends wouldn't hear about it until they had already left vacation so they wouldn't have to try and explain it. Can you imagine that's so true? Um, I feel sadness for the innocent, upright Catholic priests who are standing in something like this today with their robes on, trying to figure out how do you talk about the elephant in the room, or do you ever talk about the elephant in the room? What do you do with that? The guys who had no part in anything, and yet what they're saying today, they're trying to figure out how do you speak words that are relevant to the situation they're all in. And then most of all, for the, this, just this unspeakable sadness, you can't find the right words, you can't really articulate it well. For the families who've lived with pain and with shame and with the damage that was wrought on them by those they entrusted themselves to for care. And then Willow, um, the same thing is, you know, last Thursday and Friday was the Global Leadership Summit. Um, it was an event that came out of Willow Creek I mentioned a moment ago. And, and Bill Hybel started this um, 25, maybe 30 years ago. And every week, every year, Bill Hybels, he would open the session, and that was always my favorite session, always. Bill is a magnificent communicator. And, and up until the past few months, most would say a brilliant leader. 
there was just so many things that he shared and so many things he talked about that were so beneficial for me over the years and for many others as well. Last week, they, they do the summit on Thursday and Friday of the same week of August every year. On Wednesday night, the last pastor they still had resigned. And all of their elder board said, we're resigning. We'll be gone by the end of the year. We're just sticking around long enough for you to get new leadership here. And their reasoning was, was that we have so mishandled the things that have been alleged about Bill that there's no trust left and we need to step aside and let leaders step in that you can trust and who can begin to put us on the path of growth and stability and good, good stuff in a good place. So I'm sure that last Thursday morning as the summit opened, that just like the Catholic priests who are preaching today, those leaders of the summit had to figure out something to say because every year a recurring theme is the necessary need for the integrity of leaders and for building effective teams. Two things that Bill violated repeatedly for many, many years. So there's a sadness for leadership who are left now trying to figure out how do you lead, where do we go, who's in charge, how are we making our decisions. Sadness for the Hybels family, for those women that he called liars and marginalized and demonized. And over the years while attending the summit, I watched Hybels interact with the industry leaders and politicians who led sessions on some aspect of leadership that didn't know Christ. One of the very best sessions I ever, ever saw was Bill Hybels sitting down with Jack Welch, the CEO of GE. Just great, great lesson. And here's a man that nobody intimidated. Here's a man that nobody pushed around. And Bill Hybels found a way to say, so what about Jesus? In a very winsome, effective, great way. He had Condoleezza Rice speak one year, one of my favorite speakers of all time there. Jim Collins, the good to great guy. Patrick Lencioni, death by meeting. Carly Fiorini, um, a former presidential candidate. All of those guys would say that they're outside of the faith, but they came because they saw what was happening. They thought it was great. They thought it was interesting. They thought it was something worthwhile. And they're just a handful of them, many, many others. And I wonder what they're thinking this week. Bill Heibel's name is now added to the name of Jim Baker, Jimmy Swaggart, Robert Tilton, Bill Gothard, Ted Haggard, Mark Driscoll, Perry Noble, Gordon McDonald, Bob Coy, Harry Thomas from right here in our region, Creation Festival, Andy Savage, Billy Graham's own son, Tulian, Tavidian, and that's the short list. And therein is the great sadness that, that once again, the great, the church of Jesus Christ and his bride and his name and his reputation is drugged through the mud again. And he is left open to mockery and his critics are given a new opportunity to laugh, to point, to deride. If the whole world was a pond, each of these scandals would leave ripples that go on and on and on leaving hurt and disillusioned people in their wake. And the critics of the church point their fingers and see, and say, see, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Everything they preach again is exactly what they enjoy. 
And those left behind often leave the church completely. Their questions are unanswered. Their expectations are ruined, and they can't be realigned. Andrew Sullivan wrote in New York Magazine this week, We may still believe in in Jesus, but precisely because of that, we we can no longer believe in the church. No one is untouched. Others leave one church hoping that the next one will be better. And far too often the victims, whether they stay in the church or leave it, they suffer in silence. They're considered malcontents. They're told that they're exaggerating things. And in essence, they're being asked not to upset things here. And that's the recurring theme of most of the stories that you'll read in all of these scandals, but especially in the two that I've highlighted here today, that the man, whether it's the priest or Bill Hybels, became more important than the master. Somewhere, somehow, the name of Christ and his reputation was supplanted by the name of the man and his reputation. And as this happened, the structure and the accountability that should have been in place, that might have been there at one time, those boundaries were stepped over, ignored, erased, so that the reputation of the man began to supersede the reputation of the God-man, of Jesus Christ. Now, here's an interesting little irony for you. Boz Chavidian, you notice that name? We've said it twice, and it's not a name you hear a lot. Chavidian. Boz Chavidian's grandfather is Billy Graham. Boz Chavidian's brother is Tulian Chavidian. Tulian has had his own moral falling. But, Bob, but Boz Chavidian is one who has an entire ministry built around helping local churches and parachurch ministries protect themselves from scandals and then, then um, uh, redeem themselves and overcome scandals. So here is Boz making this statement about this very situation. Those leaders feel almost invincible. They don't feel like the rules apply to them because they're doing great things for Jesus, even though their behavior doesn't reflect him at all. Willow's elder board wrote in one of their many statements, we are sorry that we allowed Bill to operate without the kind of accountability that he should have had. Another elder said that they were blinded by their faith in their founding pastor and failed to hold him accountable. In an interview in April with the Chicago Tribune, Heibel said this himself. He made a final plea that the allegations be discounted and for his work, pay really close attention to that. For his work and reputation not to be tarnished. The master has been replaced by the man. The reason why this is important to me And the reason why this is important to us is that we never want to be a headline. We never want to read about crossing community church in the way that we're reading about these other things. I don't want to see my name in a headline, and I don't want to see your name in a headline. I don't want to see an article that's detailing wrongdoings 
And I never want the critics of Christ to be able to point to you or to me or to this church and mock Jesus. Because you see, it's his name and it's his reputation that is foremost above all names and reputations. It's his glory. It's him that we're here for. And so I've said it many times through the years, and I have to remind myself all the time that we are not here to grow this corner of property here in Bucks County. We're here to serve him and to glorify him, and he will grow it as he deems fit in his own time and in his own way. And so while the headlines of this week and the the details of these leaders the safeguards for them are the same safeguards for all of us. And so while, you know, we read a certain name in this article or we're reading a certain name in the Chicago Tribune or the New York Times or anything else, the problem, the failing of those names, the failing of those leaders, now then take out the leaders and say the failing of those Christians is the exact same failing that each and every single one of us struggle with as well. And that's that the safeguards, having that, that what they didn't have was they didn't have people in their life that would ask them about their actions, about their attitudes, about their words, about their spiritual life. And so therefore they were able to act and behave and to speak in any way they wanted to. That's where this is not about them This is about us. This is about you. This is about you and I. Their failing is often our failing. I have terrible mistakes in my life. I have terrible sins in my life, especially as a younger man, that I do not want you to know. I am not lily white. I'm not even an off shade of white. I am gray. Because what once was dark, what once was absolutely black, what was once untouched by the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ was black and dark, and then he entered my life, and then he shattered the darkness of my life. And as I am sanctified, I continually move from this darkness of what I was into this brilliance of what he is and what someday I will be totally when he removes me from this place and he glorifies me. But in the meantime, I'm just one more shade of dark. I'm just one more shade of gray. He sees me as washed by the blood of my sacrifice, but my life, my actions, my words, my intents so often are still gray. One of the keys of lasting change in our life is having people in our lives that speak truth to us. This is the same thing that was missing with Hybels. It's the same thing we're missing with all these Christian leaders we just talked about. And actually, most Christians who fail, not just leaders, fail because no one was speaking to their life and saying, I don't think you can do that. I don't think that that's what God wants of you. David White in his book, Sexual Sanity for Men, outstanding, outstanding book. And even if you don't want to talk about sexual sanity, even if you don't want to talk about sexual sin, you could take out 
the sexual sin he's talking about and put your sin in there, and this book was written for you. And it has been huge in my personal walk this year. And David, he writes in there that he quotes an Irish proverb, and he says, a friend's eye is a good mirror. Think about it. A friend's eye is a good mirror. In other words, he says, in significant ways, other people know us better than we do know, know us better than we know ourselves. We are often blind to areas of sin in our life that others see plainly. White writes that if we are going throughout our spiritual life alone, then we're not really honest about spiritual growth and change. Now, let me further define what I just said. Because some of you go, well, I'm not alone. I'm obviously here. I'm here in church. Some of you say, well, I'm on the worship team. I'm, I'm a small group leader. I'm in a small group. I'm on a ministry team. So I'm not doing this alone, Tim. I'm, I'm doing what you're talking about. I'm not talking about being with people. I'm talking about people being in your life. I'm talking about people being with you. That's what we're talking about. In all of that stuff you might be doing, in all those places you might be, does anyone know you? Do they know your sin? Do they know the honest brokenness of your life? The stuff you're really struggling with and most often are failing in? But even if they know it, because our wives and husbands know it, but the fact of the matter is, we often, myself guilty of this, tell them, hands off. Hands off. I'm not going to let you speak to me about that. If that's the way you are, then you're not serious about spiritual growth. If that's the way you are, then you're not spiritual about lasting change in your life. And I would even go so far, unfortunately, to say that if that's the way you are, you're only playing like you're a Christian. You're only playing like you're a follower of Christ. Because those who are following him diligently and eagerly are looking to be changed into his image. And we cannot be changed into his image at our, so, at our own self-assessment. We have to have someone in our life who is saying to us at times, you're doing a great job. You're doing fine. Let's do this, let's do this over again. But we also have to have at times someone in our life who's saying, you can't do that. You can't say those things. Those things don't honor God. Those things don't honor the people around you. And confront us in our sin. And allow God's spirit and God's word to change us from being like that. And to becoming more like him. Scripture is clear about all this. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together. See, Scripture says it's important to be together. Now, see, most preachers say that's why you need to be in church on Sunday mornings. I'm just not going to say that. I'm going to say it's important that you come together so that you're in relationship with one another and you can speak to one another about what God is doing in your life or maybe what He's not doing in your life. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more you see the day drawing near. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. It's well known. It's the, it's, you know, it's the whole thing about, like, you know, why would you, like, why do you want to pick on your brother and say, hey, there's a speck in your eye when there's a log in your own eye? 
you know? And so we use that all the time for saying, like, look, you're not, you're not supposed to be paying attention to other people's business. You're supposed to be paying attention to your own business. But the problem is, is that passage, we overlook the last words of those passages. He ends that passage by saying, you hypocrite, first take out the log. Then look at the speck in your brother's eye. Don't we usually look at that verse and say, you're not allowed to pick on other people's sin. You're supposed to pay attention to your own. That's not what the verse says. The verse says, pay attention to your own and then pay attention to the sin of your brother. It sounds like a relationship, doesn't it? With some degree of accountability in it. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And, and, so, and, we're, and whenever I say that, well, some people automatically get afraid and say, so you, you, you want me to like stand up and all? I'm saying, no, there are appropriate relationships that you ought to be involved in where you can say, this is what I'm struggling with. It's not a group activity necessarily. It's definitely not the Sunday morning type of activity, except for in very extreme cases. But it is exactly what he's calling us up to in small groups of two or three or one, where he's saying, this is where you come and you talk about these things. In, in Galatians 6, he says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself. There, that's the same thing as the Matthew thing and the eye and the log and the speck. He goes, Restore one another gently, but look at yourself also so that you won't be tempted. And bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. When we're applying these passages to our life and therefore we're applying them to our spiritual growth, we'll begin to see true spiritual growth. We begin to see lasting change in areas of our lives that perhaps have never changed. But if we continue to live like many of us are, living good lives, being good people, being nice people, being tidy people, but not exciting people, not people with a vibrancy to your spiritual life. Not people who are experiencing an overwhelming life. John 10.10 10 says, I came that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. No one, I'm just going to say this and it's an overstatement. I know this, all right? No one with a nice life is probably living an abundant life. Do you get what I mean? He's calling you to more than to be nice. He's calling, you to, that he's calling you to deal with the messiness in your life, and there's nothing in your life that's messy that's nice. And abundant life comes when we're dealing with that stuff and we're seeing him change us. And we're seeing ourselves become to be different. And abundant life happens then, and it's overflowing So I want to grow and I want to change and I want crossing to grow and I want crossing to change and I want you to grow and I want you to change. And I want all of us to become more like Jesus. I don't want us to be a headline ever. So let's pursue honest, real relationships, allowing others in our lives so they can see our struggles and walk with us in it. Now, there are some of us who are saying, well, thank you very much, Tim, for teaching a lesson that I needed to hear a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago because it's too late for me. I've already had my train wreck. I've crashed and burned, and I'm living in the consequences of it, and I'm just a shell of myself. So where were you before? Well, I just got to say that I mentioned a name earlier, 
Tertullian Chavidian. Um, he understands the topic that I'm addressing today, and he understands that sentiment that you might be expressing as well. He was a pastor of one of the largest churches in South Florida until moral sin kind of affected all that. And he's rebuilding his life. Matter of fact, he's speaking in Rahway, New Jersey this morning. And on his arm is a tat, and that tat says this. It says, Well, may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them well and thousands more. My God, he knoweth none. Now just repeat that to yourself. Well, may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them well and thousands more. My God, he knoweth none. There are many in the local church, and Tullian is one of them, who is doing writing about that the local church is the worst place to be broken. Because, you see, when you're broken in church, and someone who is broken also, but they don't want to play that card, they don't like you. They don't like you. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? It's because you call out the need for them to deal with their sin when you show up and are willing and obviously dealing with your sin. You make those other people who are very tidy, very uncomfortable. But that's exactly the way the local church is supposed to work. That's exactly the way the local church is supposed to work. Very often the accuser is not the, is not the devil. It's the other people in the church. And very often the other people in the church are saying like, look what you've done. Look what you've done. It's obviously that you can't live like that and you can't have done that and call yourself a Christian. And meanwhile, what they don't know is that person is slowly picking their life up piece by piece and rebuilding it. It's happening in this church today. Don't be an accuser. Don't want to call people out about their sin. Come alongside them and say, tell me about your life. Let me understand you. Let me understand what God's doing in your life. And what we find so often, not always, but what we find so often is that God is doing a work that you cannot see. Slowly, surely, piece by piece. And by coming alongside of that person, you get to be an encourager. You get to play a small role in God redeeming that life by you coming alongside and saying, like, I'm really glad to see what God's doing in your life. Can I pray for you? Don't be an accuser. I've told you earlier about the sins I don't want you to know about, that I'm ashamed of, and that I don't want to ever revisit. And while those sins are ever on my mind, they are not on the mind of him who matters most. The Lord forgives and casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. They do not impact his affection for me or for you, or his desire to know us or to be known by him. One writer wrote this week, as he was struggling with the fall of the Catholic Church, ultimately, God drew me into this messy, messed up thing. And I've learned too much, seen too much, experienced too much grace to believe that it's anything other than what Jesus said it would be. Messy, messed up, but ultimately deeply good. There is no way that crossing is anything but messed up. That is especially true as I serve as your pastor, but it's especially true as you sit in the seat you sit in today. We are all 
messed up and broken in some form or fashion. And we are all, Philippians 1, 6, being slowly but surely taking God. And he says, I will finish that. I know that brokenness in that life and that life. It doesn't bother me. It shouldn't bother you. I'm at work there. I'm piecing it together. God redeems the messiness and the brokenness, and he uses that very same place as a stage for his grace and his glory. And none of those, none of us, are outside of his reach, are too far for God to find, to heal, and to use, regardless of what you've ever done, regardless of wherever you've ever been, but really, regardless of where you are right now. That's where he wants to begin to redeem your life and begin to use you right now. So church, the encouragement to us, the hope that we have is that change is possible, but change is possible as you are in relationship with other believers who reflect your need for change back at you and that you are willing and open to listen to that. So church, let's seek that as individual members and as a church so that we grow together, one another. He's put us all here for a reason. He's placed each of you individually in this place because he knows that you'll find a relationship here that will be the perfect one for his purpose in your life. So let's pray. Father, this morning... um, I come and I thank you and I praise you and I glorify you um, because you love me in spite of my sin, because you have forgiven me for my sin, because you have put in place your word, you put in place your spirit, and you put your people all in my life so all those things might be used in such a way to bring me into a more perfect image of Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, for resisting feedback on my life, especially from my wife, my staff. Forgive me, Lord, for minimizing and marginalizing those who have probably spoken truth about me, and I didn't want to believe it. Help all of us, Father, to be good listeners and to seek you so we might be changed by you and be more like you and bring honor and glory to you so that your, repu- your reputation is the most important thing in our life and in this church. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right.